first guy we ever washed clothes for um, was this young fellow by the name of Jordan in Brisbane. He was maybe 28, 29, so eight, eight years down the track from where I was. He went to school just up the road from me. He went to the same university as me studying engineering. And, and you know, that was my degree that I was partway through at the time. And you know, after washing his clothes and having that chat and realizing that you know, Jordan was just like me, came from the exact same background. He works in big companies around Brisbane, falling on some tough times, disconnected from his family, and then all of a sudden was sleeping in a park. And I was like, you know, how can this be that you know, someone who's on my life trajectory could be in this situation? And, and that really opened my eyes to, um, I suppose, that um, knowledge of, of not – so I suppose open my eyes to homelessness and how easily and how quickly it can happen to anyone, but also through and and also the power of a conversation, both on our homeless friends but also on you know, our lives personally. That was Lucas Patchett, co-founder of Orange Sky Laundry, a free mobile laundry service operating across Australia for those experiencing homelessness. My name is Asanya Senaratna and this is Lantern a podcast about young people trying to change the world and trying to understand what that actually means. I first heard of these two guys, Nick and Lucas, early on uh, when we were getting Project Lantern started and we were researching guests we wanted to have on the show, uh, Lantern, and these guys, their names come up, came up as uh, the 2016 recipients of the Young Australian of the Year Award. And indeed, that's, that's a great honour, but I think what impressed me the most was the initiative itself. Uh, that had won them the award, Orange Sky Laundry. And that's because it was both innovative but tangible at the same time in terms of filling a much needed gap within the ecosystem supporting uh, those experiencing homelessness across this country. And what it was, it was mobile vans equipped with washing machines that provided you know, this much needed service for those experiencing homelessness, but also something more, which was the conversations that were had whilst uh, the clothes were being washed. Uh, and you'll learn more about that uh, later on. And this was a really intriguing, inspiring story. Build this national NFP out of their own garages. Um, so Regan and I, Regan Quick and I, were very lucky uh, to sit down uh, with Lucas and talk about all of that and the importance of conversations to those experiencing homelessness, the role of advocacy versus action, inspiring technological innovation in the not-for-profit space, and building uh, this nationwide uh, NFP out of their own garage. Just before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This was an interview that we recorded over Skype because Lucas and the team are based down in Brisbane. Regan was in Melbourne, I was in Philadelphia. So there is um, some reduction to the normal audio quality you might uh, have on the show, but please do persist. It's a great episode, it's worth listening to. Um, and apologies for any um, distortion with the audio along the way but hopefully you can still enjoy the episode. Thanks, guys. Uh, my name's Lucas Patrick, the co-founder of Orange Sky Australia. Um, Orange Sky was a crazy idea between myself and my best mate, Nick, um, just over three years ago now, now to chuck two washers, two dryers in the back of an old van and drive around to parks, drop-in centres, and just wash and dry homeless people's clothes for free. And um, it started out as a really basic idea in Brisbane to, to help people in our backyard who were doing it tough. And um, you know, now fast-forwarding three years later and seeing the growth um, and, you know, Orange Sky is really much more than just a little van out of the back of a garage. It's, you know, a thousand volunteers washing and drying over six and a half tonnes of free laundry, uh, providing showers for people doing it tough. But, but most importantly and most simply just providing that sense of connection and um, conversation between people who are doing it tough and, 
really living out that mission of positively connecting our homeless friends back with the community is, is really what everything that we do contributes to. So uh, I suppose more more personally for me, what um, I suppose drove me to start it um, with, with Nick was, was a lot of opportunities throughout high school to give back to the homeless community. Our, our school ran a food van. We met you know some incredible people out on that van from the age of 13, 14 and up and, and really um, that was something that stayed with us all throughout school and, and then after school. So at, at the age of 20, kicked off Orange Sky, so sort of three years removed from school and uh, my passion then and, and still now is very much um, three main things. It's solving problems, it's learning and it's also pro- um, fix it, uh, helping people. Sorry. So I was studying engineering at university which gave me a lot of um, you know solving problems and, and learning but I was very much missing out on the helping people side of things. So my own sky almost encompasses all those things into, into my everyday life, which is really, really cool. Wow, that's so cool. Um, I'm, I'm curious now, uh, why, why did you choose uh, homelessness in particular and how, how did the idea around the van and the washing machines and now the showers come to light? Yeah, I think it really spurred from um, you know, seeing that um, from an early age. I remember as a 15-year-old heading out in the food van at, at school and um, you know, there's 12 seats in the van and there's a little barbecue in the back and you know, it only takes two or three people to cook a barbecue and the teachers might you know, take charge of that and the, um, the biggest focus was really around that conversation and that connection. So um, where um, that initially I suppose we saw very much about the, that sense of community being an add-on service to those wonderful foods, the food vans being, being um, you know, doing it tough in Brisbane or in, in lots of places around the city, around the Australia, it's not um, you know, the hardest thing in the world to get a feed. There's a lot of people doing that really, really well. So we thought, you know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Let's um, look at something a bit different. Um, after talking to people, you know, um, out on the streets, the um, things around hygiene and you know, um, showers and laundry and, and these things were difficult. And, and, and even talking about the service providers, I remember, you know, rocking up with our van um, one day to Salvation Army here in Brisbane, and, you know, the manager of the centre was so excited to see us. She's like, you know, every single um, three days we take a massive load of washing down to the laundromat down the road, um, and that's coming, you know, out of our budget of, of helping people purely because we don't – even we don't have a washing machine here, never mind letting, um, you know, our clients use it. So um, that that was – I suppose we stumbled on a few extra pieces of the puzzle that um, made almost our integrations into community a bit, a bit better, but it really spurred – you know, from those conversations as a 14, 15-year-old um, out on the streets of Brisbane and, and just chatting to people and connecting with people. Wow. And um, how? what was that process like? Did you guys were just brainstorming one day and thought, okay, washing machines are a good idea, let's put it in a van? Or did you do some? Did you test the idea out first? Did you talk to, I guess, service organisations to get a feel for what the problems were? Or was it very much like a kind of understanding you had from lived experience um it was a bit of a combination of both like we um straight after we left school sort of started thinking about you know um how can we almost value add to the food vans and stuff around brisbane we didn't know the extent i suppose of the problem we saw our little community of people that we'd see once a week um and that was the extent of of our knowledge and um, we thought you know how could we help you know this 40 odd people a little bit more and what we add on to to the to the really simple service of food and, and coffee, what we add on to just provide a bit more a bit more impact and um, that I suppose for three even a couple of years before we started, it was an idea that we chucked around was 
Like, how cool would it be to chuck some washers and dryers in a van and, and just, you know, wash and dry people's clothes for Fred's? Um, but we very much sat on that idea. We just sort of parked it. We both went off to uni and, and worked full-time and um, missed that opportunity to give back. So, yeah, three years to remove from school, as I said, um, you know, it was almost the perfect timing. I just got back from an overseas trip and I didn't have any work or, or uni or anything like that. Needed a big project to sink my teeth into and alongside Nick sort of in his days off, um, we, we got it going and and um, from there, it's, yeah, as I said, taken off. But I suppose to start with, we were very much blindsided by, well, how can we help these 40 people in our backyard um, a little bit more? And then um, after taking the van out for the first time, I realised it was so much more than, than, than just that. And I just had a quick question around sort of like that gap that you found. Um, why do you think that a gap existed? Because you said you mentioned like food trucks and food vans was already something being catered to quite a fair bit. Um, why was something so essential like washing and hygiene sort of forgotten or left behind, do you think? I suppose we were really blown away by the extent that it had been overlooked by, um, you know, almost everyone in the community. We, um, just to name a few in Brisbane, the, the Salvo Centre, the Red Cross Centre, um, big community centres didn't even have access to, to washing machines and we, we were absolutely blown away and I suppose obviously like I think the, it had been overlooked in part because no one had ever, had, ever, had ever put washing machines in the back of a van so that was one thing but that second thing of you know even these service centres that didn't have access to that um, it came down a lot of the time to funding um, a lot of the time to space and a lot of the time to actually monitoring the, the machines if you know if someone take someone's clothing out and puts it in the dryer or moves it or something. It can be a point of point of escalation. So a lot of the um, those bigger centres just purely didn't have the resources to support, um, you know, washing machines on top of all the other stuff that they did. So, yeah, it was just something that I think everyone always just assumed that someone else was doing it and no one else was. So it was, that was a really, really interesting experience. So I guess I want to touch more, a little bit more on the um, sort of origin story of Orange Sky. So, of course, you mentioned a little bit about it, but um, especially around sort of how you and Nick came about and created it. So what was it like starting something like Orange Sky with such a close friend? Did you feel that was essential to have you two to drive that or could you have, say, started it by yourself, do you think, in hindsight? Um, I think like Nick and I have always been, well, had for the last six, seven years been partners with in a lot of things. So... Um, when when it did come to starting it up, we we always thought that you know that was the logical step to take it. Um, mm. So I suppose looking back, like we we both are, can, are very different people in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Nick's much handier on the tools than than I am, but I'm probably handier in the on the book side of things than he is. So um, I suppose, but have always been connected by that want or um, that need to help people. So the the I suppose differences really well complement each other. So yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe each each by ourselves we could have got this thing up off the ground, but but I wouldn't have wanted to. And I think you know just starting it up, we really um, wanted to take. Um, we, we didn't want to let you know, bureaucracy and stuff get in the way. So literally, all we needed to start was uh, we have already owned an old, old van. We convinced the company mm-hmm. to give us some washing machines. We um, bought all the stuff ourselves from the local hardware store. We um, registered an ABN online and got some insurance and then hit the streets and, and they were as simple as that to, to start with. And then um, after we started getting a bit of momentum, that's when we started doing things like your websites and 
you know, starting to take donations and start the charity compliance and, and, and all these different things. But we had the keys, I suppose, to something that could really help people and we didn't want to let you know, other stuff or egos or anything get, let, get in the way to, to start with. A good question from that is, so I know a lot of young people have these ideas in, in their head, as, as you said, like, you know, you bounce around ideas with mates and you say, like, let's do this. I think this would be a great idea. What made you guys take that from idea stage to actually putting it in action? Because often people will talk the talk, but to use the cliche, they won't walk the walk. Um, oh, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. I think, um, as I said before, is almost a bit of impatience about we had the keys to something that we could could help people. So it was our duty almost to um, kick this off. We Once we had the washing machines, which we, we convinced a, a company here in Brisbane to donate the first, first four machines, um, once we had those ingredients, I suppose, we um, wanted to get it on the road as, as soon as possible, purely out of a, I suppose, wanting to help people first and foremost. But secondly, you know, there's hundreds of people, maybe we didn't talk to that many people, but there's you know, multiple people from all around Brisbane that were saying, you know, you guys are crazy, this is not going to work, machines will never work, no one's ever done this before. And that almost fueled the fire a little bit to um, to get it going. So I think it's probably a combination of a, a lot of factors that led to that. I think the turning ideas into concepts is, is really what we, um, one of our big passions is you know, everyone, as I said, everyone can have ideas and they can talk all day about how good their ideas are, but unless you can actually get a concept out there, test it, break it, refine it, um, you're never going to um, take those ideas any further. And I think that's um, one of our um, good things about our partnership, I suppose, is, is that complementary skill set enables us to tackle a lot of things, um, just the two of us together. So, um, yeah, I think that um, idea to concept stage is, is always the most daunting, but um, one thing that we, it's actually like a passion of ours in, in actually pushing it through and, and it's the challenge, I suppose. But How do you guys go about the uh, the finance side of things? Because um, you mentioned that you already had a van out the back. Um, often when people have ideas, one of the biggest barriers they think is that, oh, I don't have the funds. If I want to do something really grand, how can I get this off the ground? I'm short on funds myself, especially if you're a young person. It's often the case. How did you guys first like um, approach those businesses? What was that process like? Were, were you intimidated? Um, were they people you knew? Had you practiced before? And then secondly is in terms of the finances of getting it off the ground, um, what did they look like? Yeah, I, I think um, I might, might answer the other way around. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So yeah, so we already had, already had the van. We we knew yeah. that we needed some sort of serious, serious washing machine. So found a company that um, could could give us those. So sort of earmark them, and then um, just looking at you know all the ingredients to go in the van. You do have a set. Um, you've got a set, I suppose, of finite walls and, and stuff like that. So there, there is only so much you can stuff you can put in a van. And again, that idea to concept stage. So how could we test this um, concept, how can we test it as cheap as possible? Because once we have something that people can touch and people can feel, then we're confident that people um, can buy into it and can you know, support it to go to grow further. So our first van, we probably kitted out for under four or 5,000 um, bucks. And that was funded purely from, from Nick and my own bank account. And then um, – but the, the flip side of that was that as soon as we had that van is that everyone could see it and could visualise it and could we could see the impact and we could start telling stories of that, that impact that um, that it would be having in the community. So uh, I suppose it, it goes hand in hand in 
well, if you can put your money where your mouth is, I suppose, even if you're the first person to believe in it, then um, you can see the impacts on the other side. And when we were going to that first company, the it's a laundromat supplies company that's nationwide here in Australia. We, um, I suppose, went to them with a dream, and, and that dream was to um, to help people in Brisbane wash and dry their clothes for free out of out of our van. And they said, you know, this is never going to work, and no one will use the washing machines in a park. And we said, well, you know, we know that people use the washing machines in the parks. So that's, I suppose, tick one. And then um, tick two is that, um, you know, no one no one in the world has ever done this before. So so we can be on the forefront of doing this. It's such an awesome story to feed back to the machine manufacturers. If it does work, if not, um, you know, we're not going to put too much egg on anyone's face. It's just going to be, you know, um, something that, that was trial but, but didn't work. And um, they're the ones who have the best relationships with the manufacturers. They're the ones who can get the machines for the cheapest. And for us who are funding the whole thing else, it's not attainable to, to do that and since since that conversation with um, that general manager of that company actually joined our board and wow. sort of been an integral part of shaping our own sky for the last um, two and a half to, to three years and they've supported now quick maths over 100, 100 machines um, to our wow. door so just another thing that came out of that did you guys have any, any other ideas that you were kind of thinking about that you had to choose between uh, that and orange sky or was it Orange Sky all the way through? The van, the van was used for like a rental, which used as like a business um, thing for party rental um, equipment, so speakers and lights and stuff like that. Right. Um, and then when we thought, you know, let's give this a crack, we um, quickly sacrificed all that income and, and idea, and probably that was um, part of the funding that actually supported um, Orange Sky starting up. So I suppose there's always always ideas. Um, on the back burner, it comes down to time and, and resource and putting it into action. We, when we started talking about it, we thought, you know, how cool would it be to also do showers or how can we integrate showers? But um, really, I suppose, put a line in that for a long time saying that, you know, we really want to focus in and hone in on just a couple of really, really simple things. And I think, you know, some people often get can get distracted as well. There's a, there is, you know, as I said, millions of good ideas out there and how do you hone in, how do you focus in, on one specific thing and really perfect that craft. You know, we noticed that you know, all these big organisations in Brisbane and potentially all over Australia weren't actually providing laundry services. So um, we can, you know, and there's no money in it for us. It's it's about helping people, and we can potentially be on the forefront of helping people all over Australia um, with this really simple service. And I guess we have spoken quite a fair bit about Orange Sky, but we haven't really given it much of an introduction. So do you mind just give us a little bit? of a spiel about, you know, what you guys are doing, where you guys are located and kind of maybe a bit more about the model of the organisation and we can explore that a bit further? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Iron Sky is a fully registered charity, um, deductible gift recipient, all that all that good stuff. And that um, simple idea is starting off in October 2014 with our first wash um, here in Brisbane and then slowly or quickly expanding to, to cities all over the country. So now we've got 21 vans in operation in all states and territories, with the exception of the MT, in, in all those couple of cities, plus some more sort of smaller towns as well. And wash and dry six and a half tons of free laundry every single week, provide about 100 safe hot showers in our shower vans. Um, and, and that's all provided by a thousand volunteers who, um, I suppose, most importantly, what that uh, dilutes down to is 1,300 hours of genuine and, and non judgmental conversation. So, very quickly when we started, we realized the impact would be far from just washing and drying someone's clothes it would be actually those conversations that take place 
on those chairs, um, those relationships that build up over time is really you know, the most the, the crux of what we do is, is those relationships. So everything that we do now is looking at building on those relationships and adding value to those relationships. So if it's you know a shower in the first instance, if it's an education program, it's a it's a training employment opportunity, um, all these things that we can add um, through a simple thing that starts with with washing and drying your clothes is, is really where Orange Sky is heading next. So um, those thousand volunteers, you know, to date have washed and wash and dried um, four hundred ninety thousand kilos of free clothes and provided over four thousand um, safe hot showers. So um, those numbers just keep you know, adding up every week and snowballing very, very quickly. And, and that's what's so exciting is seeing, um, you know, that impact continue to continue to spiral, um, snowball. That's amazing. And the power of conversation is definitely something I want to touch on a little bit later. But before we sort of head to that side of the conversation, um, why some of the volunteer model and, like, how have you guys found managing that works, especially considering that you guys are based in Brisbane, but you have vans sort of all over the country. So, yeah, I guess sort of two questions. Why the volunteer model and how do you effectively manage that model? Yeah, and, and Iron Sky, you know, wouldn't be able to function um, without our volunteers. They're, they are you know, one of the most critical pieces into making Iron Sky happen every day. And it, it has been an evolution process. When we first started, Nick and I took the van out every day. And then it was like, oh, we had a work and a uni clash at the same time. We couldn't take it. Hey, call up a mate, call up brother, call up sister, call up mum and dad, whoever. Um, hey, can you take the van out? And it was sort of like you just take the keys and you'll figure it out kind of thing. Then the next step was actually um, I suppose the next layer out of people, um, friends of friends and, and stuff like that. And it was a very informal, you know, the, the van used to be parked on parked on Nick Street um, in, in Brisbane and they would just he'd knock on the door and go see Nick's parents and Parents giving them the key, and it might be some complete random who's, who's picking the van up with you know, no training or no structure to what they're doing. So it's purely just let's get the van out there and go. And um, when we got funding for our van in Melbourne, which is sort of seven or eight months after we started, we had a big problem: is that we um, were heading to a city and we couldn't take the van out in Brisbane because both of us were going to be in Melbourne putting this new van on the road. So um, one of our good mates, we almost crafted this role a couple of months before we left called like the volunteer coordinator and he really started heading up and started putting in some more systems and processes to you know what the volunteer um you know started started getting a roster and it's rudimentary through excel and, and things like that to um make start making the process a bit more rigorous by this time we had a, a really basic application form that was sort of your name your suburb and you know, when when your availability was and the email address so um these things sort of kept coming a, a bit further and further along and um, the next, I suppose, turning point was that when we left Melbourne and we're, we're leaving Melbourne, we're like, okay, well, we've been here for four weeks. We did a launch. The launch went really well. We got 200 volunteer applications. So we had a, a captive audience of people who were interested and keen to volunteer with Orange Sky, but we um, didn't really have a structure for them to fit into. So we started shaping a structure. We had a team leader for every shift who would really take ownership on that shift and their team. And every team um, would have about nine or ten people in it. So we started in Melbourne with about eight shifts and about 80 volunteers in total. And then each of those team leaders then report into a service or that volunteer coordinator or service manager, which, um, you know, really came to a head. As we were leaving Melbourne, we are like, well, we need someone to sort of be the boss of Melbourne. And we you know, recruited this person who took over that role and, and started um, doing it. And then once we had two vans operating two complete cities, we knew that, you know, this 
just a scalable model that could really work it and definitely it's been refined you know, 100 times since then um, but I suppose that that model still holds true to, to that general volunteer team leader and then that service manager sort of who leads that team um, and the teams go from a, a team of in Sydney about 160 to a team in Hobart of about 30 people so and anywhere on that spectrum um, to make the vans operating every week is, is, um, is really cool. And what's the retention like for volunteers? Like if people join the team, are they staying for quite a while or do you find it's more of a higher turnover for sort of new volunteers? Now, when we when we start, um, any any volunteer who starts with us would have noticed it's a very, very high return rate. We um, sort of ask for a, a six-month commitment when people sign up. So that sort of weans out some pretenders from the start. We, we As I said, we'll talk about building relationships and having those genuine conversations, which you can't do if you rock up once a year. So really about building those ongoing relationships is, is so important. And um, the, the biggest drop-off we experience is from people seeing it, applying, and then actually turning up to training. And that, that would be the biggest drop-off. So we're just looking at ways to improve that. I think you can never um, capture someone's excitement when we, you know, capturing someone's excitement after they've just seen a video or a photo and putting an application through is really a lot simpler than, um, you know, getting someone to turn up to a training at this time and a place and, and start going through it. So there's always going to be a, a drop-off there, but looking at ways, how do we reduce that drop-off? But once someone's been rostered on you know, for four weeks, their return rate, you know, is, is, is quite significant. We've had volunteers who have been with us since the start in Brisbane over, over three years ago. And, and, you know, same with each city that we go to, you sort of have your foundation volunteers that are there, you know, very much for the long run. And there is, there is progression. So I was just going to say there is progression as well throughout the volunteer team. So obviously if you start as a general volunteer, you can be a team leader and a service manager, and then quite a few of our staff now have actually um, transitioned from that volunteer team because you know that you know, they're passionate, they're excited, they um, they know what we do and they, they're connected to what we do as well. So that those um, people are, are really crucial to that DNA of our own sky. Awesome. Um- just, just on the on the point of increasing the retention rate, um, what ideas do you guys have? So um, it's come a long way in the last sort of six months, and a lot of automated processes. It used to um, an application used to get emailed to a service manager who who as a volunteer didn't have the time to invest in returning lots and lots of emails and the templates and stuff set up, but um, it was very laborious. And, and now, um, from someone turning up, someone applying online to someone being rostered out on shift. Um, the service manager doesn't have to do anything but click a few buttons and, and run one training session um, in there. So a lot of automation in those processes has, has, has sped that process up. Um, we're looking next step is, is about um, modularizing that training a fair bit more. So um, a meeting before you go out and shift is a, is a crucial part in having a meeting, but it doesn't need to be a two-hour training session. It could be you know, a a 30-minute catch-up to show people through the van and show them how it all works. But um, really modularising that training uh, for online delivery is, is probably the, the next big step for, for us in that um, onboarding and induction process. Um, and in terms of going forward, so you mentioned you expanded first to Melbourne. Did you guys actively look for coverage in terms of people noticing you we actively pitching other businesses to help you sponsor a new van or going out to the press or was it quite organic you guys just were looking at getting the the van out each day and whatever came was whatever came yeah in in um in brizzy i suppose where where it first started is we did 
you know, a tiny little newspaper as our first um, as our first interview. This lady took some really, really nice photos. We had no photos at this point, like it's perfect. We took, you know, we um, asked if we could use them. This, she said, yeah, no worries. So we um, chucked up a couple on Facebook. We also chucked a few um, up while we were building the van. So us just being idiots in the garage, you know, drilling holes in the side yeah. of the van, banging it together um, over a couple of weekends, we, you know, chucked a photo, chucked some photos up on Facebook. Someone who was very much one of, you know, one of those first likes took the photos off Facebook, chucked it on Reddit. Um, on Reddit, it just went, you know, bonkers overnight. I had all these people messaging, all my mates messaging me who are on it. Oh, dude, you're on the front page of Reddit. Like, it's wow. crazy. <laughs> um, we had, like, a million and a half clicks on, like, an Imgur site. Um, and, all, you know, it was, it was trending overnight on, on Reddit. So um, that led to, you know, first uplift in, I suppose, donations, volunteer applications, and then also the media interest. So from that, your Huffington Post, your Daily Mails, all these um, online sort of viral newspaper, newspaper-y sort of things caught onto it, and then more traditional medias like the Sunrises and stuff caught onto that, and that almost set, set up this momentum that, you know, we just um, everywhere – you know, not not nationally, but each city that we sort of expanded into, we um, had it, had some nice media contacts to sort of liaise with and, and get some coverage on the story. And the message wasn't, you know, look how cool we are. It's really, um, you know, this van's here now to help your community, and we need your support to to pay for it, but also to to volunteer on it. And and that's been a consistent message for the last couple of years. Every new van that we've rolled out. Um, we've had that message and had, had decent amounts of media. So it was a mix, I suppose, of actively looking for that stuff and then just being reactive to what was coming in and with sponsorship as well, very reactive to people getting in touch. And you know, we're, we're just blown away with how generous people are with their time and with their connections and with you know, their support. And, and that's really what's got Narod Sky where it is today is people believing in it and pushing us in the right direction to, to get the help that, that we need. Uh, just just going on that at that theme of uh recognition and support uh you guys were i think dutifully honored as uh young australians of the year in in 2016 last year and that's that's a huge honor to to receive um i'm i'm just curious how how did you guys um find out about that and i think more importantly when when an organization starts getting bigger it starts blowing up um, how do you guys c- keep grounded? Because um, as with any kind of organisation that you start, or um, if, because I think there's sometimes a perception that if it's in the not-for-profit space or the social impact space, there's not as many egos that are involved. But I, I know that sometimes when there's all these accolades coming in, you, you feel really good about yourself um, and it's easy to get pumped up. Um, how do you guys kind of... Balance that and and stay grounded. Oh, my head's massive. Hey, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, I think I think first and foremost, staying grounded. Like that's what's great about having two of us. And and, right. and Nick and I, you know, at the start of last year after the award and stuff like that, a good um, mentor or friend of ours said, you know, "Whether you guys like it or not, you're now like joined at the hip, and you're you you're the two of you. So you guys really need to get clear with each other on you know what that means and almost build." And a, a constitution or an agreement between the both of you in, in um, you know, how you guys operate. Because if something, you know, really good advice that he gave us that you know, Australians love a hero, but the the only thing that Australians love more than a hero is tearing that hero to the ground. So I think um, that that's really 
actually rung rung true with us and um, so part of that I suppose constitution between the two of us and it's not written down it's just just verbally agreed between us is about uh, yeah staying grounded but but you know if one of us is getting you know too caught up in stuff if one of us is really annoying the other one and really being able to pull up pull each other up on that and we've you know, been mates for eight or nine years now so having a, a really open open and honest relationship and just saying you know that was that was crap you shouldn't have done that or um, yeah, that was really good, and keep keep it going that way. So I think um, having the two of us there is a massive thing. And, and now, and I think knowing and, and continually reminding each other, yes, we're the the blokes who planted this tree. And, and you look at the tree now, and it's you know, really nice. It's got nice branches and nice leaves, and you know, this this whole thing has has emerged from from what we planted. But also, we're not responsible for all those branches and all those leaves. Is that a lot of people very early on, very late on, and the whole time in between have come in and they've, um, you know, they've looked after the, that branch or that leaf and, and, and helped it to grow and helped it to um, evolve. And, and that just where the, again, the idiots who started it, but um, there's so many more people now that go into making our own sky what it is. I think reminding each other of that as often as we can and you know, the, the awards and, and stuff like that, like Young Australian of the Year awards, is, is much more about Orange Sky and, um, that movement that that is happening with with Iron Sky and, and recognizing that, and you know, every time that we talk about it, it's always comes back to you know volunteers, um, donors, but but lastly, but not least, is, is homeless friends. We'd we'd be nothing without the trust and, and relationships that volunteers build with homeless friends all over Australia uh, um, to make that happen. So so I think just yeah, staying grounded, reminding us of that, being out on shift is is a massive grounder as well. So we out on shifts sort of once or twice a week at least, um, staying connected with volunteers, with you know, people that are using our service, as well as obviously donors and, and, and staff and stuff like that as well. Cool. Right. And when, when you get a platform like uh, winning Young Australia of the Year, um, I'm curious how, how does working on an on a initiative like Orange Sky, how do you take a platform like the award um, to kind of advocate uh, for the broader issue that you're kind of trying to tackle about people experiencing homelessness. Um, How do you guys kind of handle that and what, what, what you do? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting and I think not something that we are prepared for and, and probably didn't do the best job of advocating for homelessness as a, on a whole. We, we always said, you know, um, this award is for, for Orange Sky but more broadly is to shine a spotlight on homelessness, and, and we've never said that we're experts on homelessness. And you know, at some point, um, you know, we're not we're not studied in it, we're not in that, but we're at the coalface. So I think you know, we've got a, a really unique insight into homelessness. I, I don't think we're ever going to be you know academics about about homelessness. So what is an expert on, on homelessness? But I think really um, we what we did do a good job of leveraging is. Um, that those relationships to, to grow Orange Sky. We started the year with four vans and about you know, 150 volunteers. We ended the year with 11 vans and 650 volunteers. So you know, almost tripled in size over the course of a year. So it was a flat out, absolutely a flat out year. And, and um, a lot of that momentum came because of the um, Young Australia of the Year Award. Uh, I think we never proclaimed to be advocates. We um, thought you know, that's the reason that we're in with no shot for this award is because we're not out there you know, advocating for stuff where we're doers. And, and I mm. think having that ethos still run through is that, you know, we're, we're doers and, and we want to show people 
not tell people, I suppose, would, would be the difference with, with us. And, um, yes, yeah, so I think it's just how the award went that year. We're happy to happy to run with it. Awesome. That's a really um, cool way of thinking about it. Um, just before we, we go in-depth about uh, homelessness and, and sparking conversations, I just wanted to quickly touch on, um, you know, as university students, you, you enter the workforce, um, um, often it's university or, you know, late high school where you have these ideas, but uh, for one thing or another, it might be, you know, financial stability. It's really easy to kind of conform to the path that's um, well-trodden. Um, you might be studying, there's often a, a well-trodden part, and it's it's really hard to, to take that leap and say, I'm really going to buckle down on this and give it a shot. Um, what, what, what was that like um, for you guys? What made you um, take that jump? The catalyst was actually the award. So I remember the week of the award, I said to Nick, if we win this thing, I'm going to put uni on hold for the year and, and let's let's make the most of it. And he said the same thing about, about his job. So um, right. when it happened, it was sort of like, oh, shit, what do we do now? And, and, and really um, put a lot of things on hold, but really enabled us to, to take um, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and, and, and go with it. So I think that was the catalyst for us. So obviously not everyone's going to be in that situation. I think the... Um, but I think that tipping point was coming. And I think when anyone, the, the the first thing is you can start it while you're still doing you know, other things, if it is uni, if it is work, um, or you might cut back to work one, one to four days a week or, or something like that to, to start um, to test your concept. And, and we talk about concepts a lot, but I think the um, once you start that, the, you definitely recognise a momentum shift and at some point there is a tipping point that it's like, you know, I need to invest all my time in this or someone else needs to be along for the journey to, to take this thing to the next level. And I think um, that's just, you know, the, the person who's starting something is the best temperature gauge for that. Um, you know, I knew it was coming anyway. That's sort of part of the reason I did the bet. Um, like, knew that the tipping point was coming anyway. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just sort of one of those things you just got to feel and, and find out and trust, trust your instinct with. Because I am conscious for time, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, Lucas. But um, the next sort of section we wanted to jump onto was sort of this idea of the power of conversation and the relationships that um, sort of your volunteers do build with the people who are using Orange Sky service. So I guess can you give us a bit more of a perspective on your idea of the power of conversation in these situations? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as I said right at the start, what, what our mission is is positively connecting communities. And I think... You know, one way that we can really address that is through those genuine and non-judgmental conversations. So for people who are you know, experiencing homelessness, who are doing it tough, one major thing is being ignored and being downtrodden and, and being you know, judged and, and, and lots of different components that go into this. And, and what that equates to is, is a breakdown in trust and um, you know, looking at service providers and saying they can't help me and, and really just very quickly down, downward spiralling and where Orange Sky comes into it is, you know, let's wash your clothes, you know, I'm Lucas, nice to meet you um, and, and let's and just see where the conversation goes. One of the first activities that we do in um, the training is, is that, you know, turn to the person next to you and have a conversation and, you know, the point of that exercise that people on the streets, the conversation that you just had is exactly the same as um, one that you'll have out on shift. It's, it's not, you know, this you know, massive... Um, you know, you're not going to have a huge conversation. It's just going to be a regular conversation. But treating that non-judgmentally is really 
really, really important because it can start to build that confidence, can start to rebuild that trust um, with people who are the most, um, you know, not looked after in our society and, and that is really where we come into it. And, and from there, once you have that relationship, once you have that trust, is that that's when you can actually help that person. You, you can't help someone until you know their story and you know, you know what's got them to, to where they are. So that help, you know, we're, we're never proclaimed to be counsellors or, or social workers or anything like that. What we are good is what we are good at is really good connectors. So, um, yeah, our van's got 160 different spots across the week um, all over Australia. So in those spots you'll have your big charities, you've got your local community service providers and you've got your food van and stuff as well. So if someone needs housing support or healthcare support, there's um, – a pretty, you know, very, very high chance that our van goes to one of those spots along the way and, and that almost warm referral can happen as a result of those conversations, that non-judgmental um, attitude of, of having having a chat. On that idea, um, so you're saying sort of like these people who are suffering from homelessness are kind of disconnecting from the system. So do you think it's that lack of trust or like what are the barriers that are stopping them from seeking out, say, these support services themselves, and why does sort of what Orange Sky does um, sort of help alleviate those barriers? Like, why is it after you talk to a volunteer and then get recommended to say some sort of service, why does that make a difference compared to maybe say before with Orange Sky? If that question makes makes any sense at all, Lucas? Yeah, I think the trust, like the trust, comes back to comes back to heaps of different things. It could be that they've had a bad experience with that service before. It could be that service is associated with this religion that you know, I've had bad experiences with or, you know, whatever um, factors go into that trust breaking down, um, you know, is, there's, there's heaps. And I, I think um, those those two examples there. And then from there, so what we can do is really take people on that journey back to trusting those organisations again. So the um, for some people it might take... An hour, some people might take a year. There's a, a guy here in Brizzy by the name of Jared who, um, you know, he was a really nice bloke. We always chatted with him, but he said, you know, I, I can't wash my clothes in your band because I'm Indigenous and, you know, I don't deserve to. And he's sort of had this very downtrodden view of himself and of his self-confidence and, and actually believed that he wasn't worthy to wash his, wash his clothes in our van. And that sort of went on for 18 months. And I still remember the day that he brought his washing to shift and did it. It was this huge celebration that, you know, this 18-month journey is, is actually um, a, a big step in the right direction of, of supporting Jared um, through that, you know, self-confidence um, dip and, and really start to build that up again and then start looking at connections with other, other service providers. Wow, that's incredible. Is there any other... Um kind of conversations or moments that, that really stand out to you or you keep on going back to? Yeah, I, I think it's heaps. There's, um, one, one I often talk about is the first first guy we ever washed clothes for. Um, was this young fellow by the name of Jordan in Brisbane who's maybe 28, 29, so eight, eight years down the track from where I was. He went to school just up the road from me. He went to the same university as me studying engineering and, and you know, that was my degree that I was partway through at the time. And, you know, after washing his clothes and having that chat and realising that, you know, Jordan was just like me, came from the exact same background. He works on big companies around Brisbane, falling on some tough times, disconnected from his family, and then all of a sudden was sleeping in a park. And I was like, you know, how can this be 
that you know, someone who's on my life trajectory could be in this situation. And, and that really opened my eyes to, um, I suppose, that um, knowledge of, of not, that I suppose, opened my eyes to homelessness and, and how easily and how quickly it can happen to anyone, but also through and, and also the power of a conversation, both on our homeless friends but also on you know, our lives personally. And you know, another one of the big things that we set from a very early stage and also one of the first things we cover in training is that we hate or we're not fans of the C word but we love the F word and the C word is clients and customers and the F word is friends. So everyone that we help that use our services are friends because we're not selling them anything, we're not they're preaching anything or, or, or anything like that. It's, it's genuine relationships that we're, that we're building. Right. And um, I'm just thinking now on Orange Sky's creating uh, an awesome environment um, with the chairs being laid out across Australia, great place to have conversation, and you know people can go out and volunteer. Um, but I'm thinking now more on a on a daily basis. So especially when you're studying in a big city like Melbourne, you, you walk past people experiencing homelessness on the street every day, and it's multiple people, and you can kind of become numb to it. How do we kind of replicate what you guys are doing um, with the van in our kind of daily lives? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question, and I think you know, even even spending a bit of time in Melbourne and Sydney and seeing seeing that it's been something that you know we've almost had to think about. Well, how do we do this? We're wearing an orange tie shirt, walking down the street, and, and not becoming numb to, to, to it. And I think you know um, it's something as simple as in an acknowledgement, you know, g'day mate, or how are you going? If you've got time to stop and, and have a quick chat, um, something as simple as that can really, that lives out the ethos, I suppose, of our own scribe, treating people equally and, and you know, non-judgmentally and, and genuinely. And, um, yeah, something as simple as that, I think, can, can really um, change. And, and we've seen you know, conversations, just a simple conversation, as, as we've talked about, can, can be so powerful. The, um, yeah, there's so many examples in my head I was just thinking of as well. And then how, how can we build those actions into kind of greater greater work on, on solving this issue. Um, uh, obviously, Orange Sky is doing great work around um, breaking down stereotypes and conversations. Um, what else do you think in particular young people can do um, to kind of help the, to resolve the issue? And um, yeah, what, what, other, what, what things do you think might be neglected in terms of when people think about homelessness and what really needs work? I think, I think one big thing, like, there's, there's 350,000 services available for someone who's homeless in Australia. So there's a significant number of services um, that are available. There's you know, 55,000 not-for-profits in, in Australia. So how many of those are in the homelessness space? I'm not percent sure on the statistics, but um, there's a significant amount of help, a significant amount of um, goodwill and, and all these things that um, are going into this issue, and I think it comes down to efficiency. So I think where, where young people are really going to change um, you know the the charity and the social social enterprise world is through technology. And I think being smarter with technology, um, being you know, more efficient with how we work, and automating processes, all these little things can really contribute back to having more um, you know more help available for someone who's doing it tough. You know things like Airbnb, things like Uber have revolutionised the hotel and the taxi industry, um, and and not for profits often lag maybe 5, 10, 15 years behind their business or the leaders in business. And so how do we almost shorten that gap? How do we bring um, not-for-profits on that same journey? For, for us, we've got you know, in-house developers who are 
automating those processes for volunteers because we see the impact in that. There. Um, you know, all, all our data that's being reported, reported through an app that we've built you know, in-house to, to capture that. And every wash that goes through our machines, we know where it happened, what time it was, what band it was in, and the name of the person whose um, washing it was. We've got numbers on you know, how many people referred externally and, and all this data and um, this information that we can capture. But why can't, you know, we, why can't you know, every not-for-profit and have that transparency in in um, how they're helping people and the efficiency of, of helping people. So I think probably it's a bit of a sidestep in, in a direct action, but what's really going to change the not-for-profit space and what's going to solve you know, homelessness is technology and, and how we use that efficiently and how we integrate that to, to, to make it happen. I, I liken it sometimes, and it's not as simple, but the, the Henry Ford assembly model is that the reason that, you know, Henry Ford changed the game with car assembly because he made people just focus on one thing. Instead of one person building an entire car, one person built one part of one car. It went through this assembly line and got down there. Um, you know, obviously, homelessness is not a car, but mm. it's it's a similar ethos in, in my brain is that you know there's maybe 100 steps to there's, – there's a 1,000 different options, but there's 100 steps to getting someone you know, to transition – out of homelessness and, and how do we track that? How do we be more efficient at our one step? For us, you know, we're looking after clean clothes, connection, and showers. Um, right. So, and we're not we're not proposing to do the A to Z or the zero to hundred of, of homelessness, but um, technology and um, innovation in this space can really help shape that. Cool. Kind of. Just going on that theme, and I think this is something that's re-emerging in terms of um, the people we talk to, is that we need young people in the not-for-profit space working on the, the world's biggest problems. I think the question then there is, and this is a big question, so no stress if you can't, if you, can't, if you don't have the answer to it, um, is how do we bring those young people and attract the best young talent? to working on the world's biggest problems because you know you mentioned the likes of uber and airbnb and when we talk about technological innovation you know the dreams are startup it's this billion dollar unicorn let's go to silicon valley let's make it big how can we get the brightest minds into working on problems like homelessness yeah it's a it's a massive question i think i think i think it's there's no point in making people work on something that they're not passionate about um, I think that people, and it's happening already, is that you know young, really brilliant people are gravitating towards social enterprise and, and lots of different stuff. There's so much amazing stuff happen, happening with young people in Australia. So it is sort of there is this gradual drift, and it's not you know the the typical charity used to be, you know you'd have volunteers that were 75 plus, you'd have um, you know people. Maybe the CEO is someone who's come to the end of a 40-year career and wants to give back for um, a little while, or uh, and then a lot of young people sort of running the office potentially. So um, if you look at our own sky, like we've got volunteers who are 18 and new students who've got yeah, you know, oldest volunteer in Perth is 93, and everyone else on that spectrum of um, doctors and lawyers and um, graduates and uni students and retirees and this whole spectrum of people so i think there's a, a gradual shift and i think like our generation is very much pushing that shift so, so I, I don't know the exact question but but also doesn't i don't think it needs to happen um i don't think it needs to happen 
on the, um, you know, at, like it, you don't need to have the Uber of homelessness before the Uber of business. I think you can have, you know, you can take the learnings from Uber and you can implement it into something like homelessness mm. and um, that might, but it's about shortening that gap. It might be 15 years before that is a reality in, yeah. in years past, but how do we make the gap six months or a year or, or, or a month? Um, and I think looking at, you know, Uber, Uber's done stuff with the Red Cross this year in delivering clothes to their stores and um, the RSPCA with puppies and, and, and things like this and um, with Oz Harvest and um, taking donations for meals and, and things like this that you know, is is innovative and starting a good conversation about about how we do it. Um, but I think it's still a, a fair way to go. I think there's one thing that I want to quickly touch on before we do wrap up, though, and I guess it's jumping off what Asanga was saying in terms of trying to like attract these young people into these areas. I think for me, one ve- definitely big barrier is sort of this idea of financial like sustainability or stability is probably a better word for it. So I guess with yourself, even with Orange Sky, like how are you um, financially supporting yourself, um, especially given that Orange Guy is a non-for-profit and I guess most of the funds, if not all the funds, would be dedicated to the cause rather than paying your sort of own wages. So how does that work, if you don't mind my asking, Lucas, if it's not too personal? No, so, so yeah, Orange Sky is a not-for-profit, but, um, you know, the um, Nick and I started as Orange Sky employees actually as of July 1 a few months ago, and, and that came after... Know, a fair a fair while of fighting it and being a, a, vol- a full-time volunteer for sort of two and a half years which you know, isn't sustainable forever and, and for our board in um, you know, seeing this and, and saying that you know we're critical to the operation there's, there's 20 26 staff that, that operate orange sky you know and support those thousand volunteers so by no means is it you know we're not no one's paid millions and millions of dollars but um, there's industry rates and, and awards and stuff like that, that that needs to factor into it. But when you look at, you know, the impact that you can generate with a, an efficient, small, nimble, efficient staff team um, alongside, you know, something like a thousand volunteers, it, it starts getting um, you know, pretty pretty exciting, the, the bang for your buck, I suppose, in, in employee time. But, you know, you can't – and that's sort of one of those things that went into that tipping point is that, you know, four vans and 250 volunteers and Nick and I were the only ones managing it was was getting very much that tipping point of, of something terrible happening and, and then something you know, bad happening to Orange Sky. So the tipping point, um, that was the tipping point for our first staff member was sort of February last year who started looking after those operations and then you know, each um, hire since then has been strategic to support, I suppose, that overall goal of, of growing and being you know, the most most efficient charity that we can be. Cool. Second, second, last question is, with 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 what you guys are doing with Orange Skies, it's bringing a new idea to the space. Do you think there's stuff we can change from those existing organisations? So, um, your Red Crosses, your kind of Melbourne City missions that have a huge reach, have a huge network, have lots of programs. Is there anything that can be done within those kind of organisations? Absolutely. I think I think it's again down to technology. I think you've got um, you know you. Use We'll get glimpses of you know, new technologies being embraced by not-for-profits, but um, it again lags lags a fair bit behind. So it probably sits um, with tech companies and, and stuff, making it more accessible for pricing-wise, which, which most of them are pretty good at. But then it's looking at well, you know, how do we develop tools tailored for not-for-profits? So as I said before, we've built you know, lots of resources in-house. Um, 
you know, technology resources in-house that we can you know, now license or give or sell to other not-for-profits about volunteer management, about data capture, all these different things. So I think it, it comes down to technology um, but also collaboration. And you know, one big thing that we're passionate about is collaboration is that you know, how can you share, why can't you share a, um, a receptionist or a, you know, accountant? Every charity needs these key things once they get to a certain size. So why can't that be a shared role across a number of charities that then when people are supporting Orange Sky, they might be supporting you know, Red Cross or Melbourne City Mission or whoever by contributing to you know, almost um, making these charities more, more efficient. So I think the collaboration and um, technology are the, the two big things that you know, can make, make charities better. Cool. Um, I guess our last question now is just, is there any, um, firstly, is there any uh, resources, so like books or films or articles that kind of inspired you or have really um, really been an origin for your sense of purpose and, I guess, learnings across the journey um, that you guys have had? Uh, and then added on to that, is there anything you would like to add knowing that, you know, the people that are listening to this podcast, they're young, they're passionate about making a difference um, and they're trying to find out how. Yeah, I, th- I think the, um, the, the first, first question, we probably, yeah, as, as I was sort of talking before about being doers, not, not talkers, probably, probably similar when it comes to reading and, and things like that. But I think one thing that um, I heard maybe 18 months ago that's always stuck with me is um, quotes. And, and Nick's a massive fan of quotes. I sort of sway here or there, but I like, yeah, um, I really like, which is the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement, and I think look reflecting on that almost every day is um, a good good learning and a good reminder to myself. Um, and then I think last last thing to all, all listeners out there um, is is if you've got ideas, get out there, give it a crack. Uh, um, don't be afraid. I, I think um, turning that idea into a concept is the first step in that right direction. And once you have that concept, you can really test it and um, start getting people's feedback and and buy into to that idea. So get it, get it a crack. If you want to volunteer, jump on the website, orangeguide.org.au. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Lucas. Really appreciate it, man. No worries at all. Thank you so much for listening to our ninth episode of Lantern. That again was Lucas Patchett and you can find more information on Orange Sky Laundry and what they're doing around providing a free mobile laundry service for those experiencing homelessness across Australia as well as uh, ways in which you can support and get involved uh, in the show notes. If you did enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us grow and share these amazing conversations with more and more people across the globe. If you can't wait for more, episode 10 will be live across all our platforms next Sunday on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, or wherever uh, you get your podcasts. You can also keep up to date um, with the latest content we're pushing out across our social media. So that's Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter, which are all under Project Lantern underscore. So that's one word, Project Lantern underscore. And of course, on our website, projectlantern.com.au. If you have any feedback for us at all or just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at any time on our social media or via email at hello at projectlantern.com.au. Again, we're so happy to have you on this journey in creating a global launchpad for youth-led social impact. Till next time, stay awesome.